reading, um, and perhaps not make any special reference to the readings we've just heard, um, thrilling and puzzling though they were. Um, for as long as I've been in parish ministry, I've always had uh, a deep interest in and passion for hymns and songs and singing generally in the life of our church. And I've been privileged to serve as a member of the executive committee of the Hymn Society of Great Britain and Ireland for rather more years than I care to remember. You may have never heard of the Hymn Society of Great Britain and Ireland. Um, do look that up if you're uh, computer savvy, Google it and see what you find there. So that's really my theme this morning and I want to begin with a little limerick. It goes like this. There were two little birds in a wood who sang hymns whenever they could. What the words were about, they could never make out, but they thought it was doing them good. Well, just over a week ago, I was attending the annual conference of the Hymn Society of Great Britain and Ireland in Lancaster, along with 70 others from all over the country and all over the world. And I've been a regular attender at these gatherings for over 40 years. And to be in the company of those people who share an interest in and an enthusiasm for hymns is very stimulating. My voice is just about recovering. We do sing a lot at those conferences as well. I suppose you could say with good reason that a society such as this thoroughly appreciates the worth and value of hymns and songs and the important place that they occupy in our worship. If there's a cautious note in the limerick with which I began, it's the one that sounds the warning that hearty singing needs to be accompanied by the engagement of the mind. The birds in the limerick couldn't make out the words, though they thought they had a beneficial effect. And it's very easy for us all to fall into that trap when we sing one of those great lung-bursting tunes from the 19th century, like um, Sagina to And Can It Be That I Should Gain, or Cumronda to Guide Me, O Thou Great Redeemer, or in more recent songs like Graham Kendrick's Shine, Jesus, Shine, or Matt Redman's Bless the Lord, O My Soul. We do need to stop and to learn and appreciate the wisdom of words written by Edith McAllister in one of her hymns for younger children. You may have sung these. And when we sing and when we pray, help us to mean the words we say. Now, for those of us who've been church members for some time, it's probably true to say that hymns are a very powerful expression of what we believe and what we understand about God as well as being an important and meaningful, meaningful vehicle of praise and thanksgiving when we worship him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hymns and songs matter to us. You could say, we are what we sing. In acknowledging that hymns matter to us, for most of us, 
our theology is shaped and formed and learnt through the hymns and songs that we sing and pray. And for generations of people, the hymn book has been an important, as an important companion in their journey of faith as much as the Bible and the prayer book. And when John Wesley wrote his celebrated preface to the first edition of the Methodist hymn book in the autumn of 1779, a long, long time ago, he reminded his readers, as well as future users, that in the several hundred texts that followed were contained, as he put it, all the important truths of our most holy religion. And in commending it, he saw the contents of the hymn book as a means of raising and quickening the spirit of devotion, of confirming faith, of enlivening hope, of kindling and increasing our love of God and the love of our neighbour. So you might ask, is the future bright for hymnody, for hymns and songs that we use in our worship and enjoy so much. By the way, you do sing really well here at St. Paul, so congratulations for that. That a good number of enthusiasts, like members of the Hymn Society, gather for four days every year to celebrate the richness and variety of hymns, ought not to hide the fact that hymns are no longer part of national consciousness as they used to be. Several generations ago, it could, I think, be argued with supportive evidence that hymns were as important as anything else in our Christian culture, more influential than the newspapers, as someone once put it. But that is clearly not the case today. Students in our local schools no longer go around with a suitably sized copy of songs of praise in their blazer pockets like I did when I was at school many years ago. But story and song will surely continue to be important and vital in our Christian lives, in, in our worship. So that as in other areas of church life and witness, we have to sense today a moment of missionary opportunity and that needs to come through in the songs and the hymns that we sing. Where are hymns mentioned in the Bible? Actually the word hymn or hymns is only mentioned three times in the New Testament and on two of those occasions they are in the letters of Paul, one to the Colossians and one to the Ephesians. That well-known instruction that Christians should sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He thought that singing was an excellent way of practicing the faith. And the other occasion on which a hymn is mentioned is in the Passion narrative. Jesus and his disciples went out to the Mount of Olives and the Gospel writers tell us they sang a hymn. It was probably one of the praise psalms from the Old Testament, but that's how the New Testament writers describe that moment. So hymns and psalms and spiritual songs, an excellent way of practicing and sharing the faith and giving voice to it. 
At our hymn society conference in Lancaster, we decamped one evening to Blackburn Cathedral, uh, where we enjoyed a very fine festival of hymns and uh, about 120 people present for that. And what struck me as we sang through those hymns was, was just how much we're engaging with the key issues of the day and of the moment. A small group of us sang part of the liturgy uh, from the Russian Orthodox Church, the Liturgy of the Dead, to a Kiev melody. That was very moving, uh, considering the, the plight of the people in Ukraine and the suffering they're enduring at the moment. We also sang hymns which speak very clearly to us about our stewardship of the earth and its resources, particularly one by Shirley Irina Murray. Touch the earth lightly. Use the earth gently. Nourish the life of the world in our care. Gift of great wonder, ours to surrender. Trust for the children tomorrow will bear. So very meaningful and appropriate to sing texts like that, as well as the old favourites, of course, like Amazing Grace, which celebrates its 250th anniversary this year. And to sing uh, a new text by Ali Barrett, the chaplain of St. Catherine's College, Cambridge, a hymn based on peace, which was a competition winner earlier this year. Hope for the world's despair. We feel the nation's pain. Can anything repair this broken world again? For this we pray in every place, a spark of grace to light the way. So it's really important that we have hymns that speak of all of these contemporary issues and challenges. John Bell, member of the Iona community and uh, a frequent contributor to Thought for the Day on Radio 4's Today program, has written in his book, The Singing Thing, that the answer to the question, why do we sing, is this. In order to create identity, to express emotion, to tell stories, to shape the future, to exercise our creativity, and to give of ourselves. And there are probably many other things besides that could be said. But much of that, much of what John Bell is saying, is relevant to our working together today for the growth and renewal of the church in these days when greater cooperation and collaboration is being encouraged. Although singing the Lord's song as a solo offering is possible, its impact and energy is much greater in the company of others. It can and should be a source of harmony and encouragement as we find new ways of working, and praying, and singing together, always mindful of him who is the object of our praise, whose love in Jesus Christ has found us, and whose love continues to sustain us. This, in turn, as the psalmist reminds us, should move us all to love and serve the Lord with gladness, and whenever we gather, to come before his presence with a song. 
And I want to close by just um, reading one verse of a superb hymn by an American priest and poet, Tom Troger, who died earlier this year at the age of 72. We need each other's voice to sing the songs that hearts would raise, to set the whole world echoing with one great hymn of praise. We blend our voices to complete the melody that starts with God who sets and keeps the beat that stirs our loving hearts. We give our alleluias to the church's common chord. Alleluia, alleluia, praise, O oh praise, O oh praise the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.